Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Entrepreneur Architect Podcast, Episode 32. Welcome to this episode of the Entrepreneur Architect Podcast. My name is Mark R. LePage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. This week on the Entrepreneur Architect Podcast, I am turning things over to you the Entrepreneur Architect community. Every day I receive emails from members of the community. Many are letters of support and encouragement. And and truthfully, those are the emails that inspire me to continue this thing and to grow Entrepreneur Architect into everything that it can be. So I thank you. Thank you so much for sending those messages. But many other emails contain questions for me. You know, asking for advice or uh, asking them to, to asking me to guide them through the right direction in their careers. You know, now I'm just a small firm architect building the best business that I can. I've learned a lot in my 20 years since graduating, and I love to share what I know. But I'm not an expert in everything business. I only know what I know. But if my writing or my voice here on the podcast can help inspire you to build a better business, or live a better life, or help to strengthen our profession, well, then I'm all in. So today on the podcast, I'm sharing a few questions from the community, and I'll give you my thoughts on each. My hope here is to start a dialogue over on the blog where we can all contribute and share our thoughts on each question. The post for this episode 
can be found at entrearchitect.com slash episode 32. So let's get started. So the first question I have today is uh, a question that was sent to me by my friend Katie. Uh, I met Katie at uh, the AIAS Forum, which is the National Convention for the Architecture Students. I spoke at Forum in Chicago in December, and Katie stopped me after my speech to ask me a few questions and pick my brain a little bit. Um, and I had a nice conversation. And this past week, she sent me an email and asked uh, asked me a question about um, her her education. And so this is what she wrote. What would you say would be the best three or four basic business classes to take for my future architecture career? And I think that is an excellent question uh, that students should be asking. And uh, here are my thoughts. I think, you know, the that that's actually one of the main reasons I launched Entrepreneur Architect was because I recognized the lack of attention uh, the business of architecture received in in architecture schools, and we all need a place to learn the basics of business so we can build strong firms and focus on the things that we really love to do. Uh, if we build strong businesses, then we can focus on the architecture more. So that's why I started Entrepreneur Architect. Um, so what I would say to answer Katie's question. Um, I would, there's three that I have. The first one, without any doubt, is accounting. Accounting 101, a basic accounting course. Um, It, you need to learn how money flows in and out of business. Uh, It, 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 uh, you need to understand the basic financial statements, the balance sheet, the profit and loss statement, and how to prepare and maintain an annual budget. Those are things that are critical to the success of any business. So I would say accounting 101 would be my first uh, class I'd sign up for. The second one, and um, this is also a very important one and, and, and very near and dear to my heart, uh, is entrepreneurism. Many cl- uh, colleges and universities now offer courses on entrepreneurism. Um, it, it's it, You need a course that can help you to understand how business plans are put together, how to develop a business plan, what should go in a business plan, um, and the importance of the the basics of running a small business, um, the importance of branding and why branding is important for every architect, uh, how sales work, and that sales are are critical, that, that everybody is selling, even architects need to sell, uh, and to understand the techniques and the, and the, the way that sales work and the way the sales that, that don't work because there's certainly a way um, to do sales that doesn't really work. Uh, and marketing, and marketing is also a very important um, uh, subject that needs to be taught and learned by architecture students uh, for any, whether you're, in, you're going to start your own firm or not, these courses would help you be a better architect, would make you be a better employer to, uh, to an architect. Um, so the second one is entre- you know an entrepreneur class. I actually took in um, uh, 2005. I took a, a, a course at my community college called the uh, Academy of Entrepreneurial Excellence, and that was a 15-week course that taught me everything I needed to know about business. It was a it was a course on the fundamentals of business, and and it was 15 weeks long. And every week it would be a, a new subject. And every week I would uh, 
check to see how I was doing in my own firm. And, uh, and it was a really good lesson. All the things that I, I was already doing were reinforced and the things that I wasn't doing like sales, uh, I wasn't doing sales at all. Um, you can, you can go back to a previous episode about my sales system and I to talk to you about how I, uh, learned to do sales. Um, but that's, uh, those are things that that course was something that, that shifted my entire business. It, it took it from sort of a stagnant, struggling firm to a thriving firm. And so uh, the second one would be entrepreneurism. And my third one would be public speaking. Uh, and communications is also important, you know, learning to write properly. But, but that's not one of my three. I would say that's certainly important. Uh, it's amazing what I read on the internet uh, written by all sorts of people, including architects. Uh, who are who just don't know how to write? It's it's shocking to me that people graduate from college and don't really understand the basics of grammar and spelling. Uh, but that's sort of a rant for another day. The the public speaking is certainly something that is important for an architect. Uh, every architecture student clearly understands that going through the critique process uh, and and understanding how to speak in front of an audience uh, would is so important. Uh, you know, a good course on public speaking could take your entire career to a new level. It would it would help you uh, present yourself in front of an employer when you're trying to get a job. It would help you uh, present your work to uh, your project managers when you become an intern. Uh, it'll help you as an architect to pitch your ideas to your clients. Uh, to, to know how to speak in front of an audience is so important. Um, and I'm not talking about, you know, the type of course that's sort of thrown in as an elective where, you know, everybody's kind of hanging out, listening to each other talk for an hour and waste a, you know, a, a course on your, just to get your credit. I'm talking about, you know, a, a, a public speaking course taught by a professor or a teacher who is passionate about public speaking, who will teach you the importance of public speaking and the techniques and the strategies and the body language and the things that that take you know separate amazing public speakers from common public speakers or horrible public speakers. Um, you know, as, as entrepreneur architect grows, that's something that I'm certainly going to focus on. I, I'm planning in the future as entrepreneur architect grows uh, to get more training on public speaking because I certainly as you can tell you know I'm I'm just uh, again a small firm architect trying to make a difference and I'm not trained in public speaking uh, but and it's but it's something that I certainly want to improve so I I'm myself is I'm going to find a, a coach uh, or a good course on public speaking and uh, and do that so um, I you know I what I, what I want to do is I want to make this thing the best it possibly can be. And we're far from that right now, uh, but I'm working on it. And so that's that hopefully inspires you. So those are the three I would say. For every architecture student out there, I think the three basic courses that really you should look at as a requirement are accounting, uh, entrepreneurism, and public speaking. Those are my three. So that's the first question. My next question is uh, from Sherry, and Sherry downloaded the course and the document templates for our hybrid proposal for architectural services. It's the agreement between owner and architect that 
that we developed for my own firm, Five Cat Studio. And it's available for purchase at entrearchitect.com slash hybrid if you want to purchase a copy of your for yourself. It's a it's about an hour and a half long course, and I go through the entire process of how uh, the proposal is put together, which is, we call it a hybrid because it's part proposal and part um, agreement. It's one document that you send out as your proposal, and then if they want to work with you, they just sign that and send it back, and it becomes your agreement. So you cut out a step, make it easier for your clients to hire you. It also is a hybrid fee, which uh, it's a, it's part um, it's a f- stipulated sum fee based on a percentage, and it's it's uh, pretty simple to understand. Um, but I'll let you buy the course to understand how it works. Uh, or there's actually other podcasts, and I've written about it as well. That uh, if you didn't want to buy the course. Uh, you can you can search hybrid proposal on the uh, on the blog and you can find some more information on it there because I want to get right to the question here. Um, Sherry sent me the the following email. She wrote, "I recently purchased the hybrid proposal course. It is great. Thanks, thanks, Sherry. Um, I'm new to the renovation game. I have always done new construction homes, and this course will prove very helpful on a project I am currently trying to get." One question remains, how could I use this form of proposal given this situation? And then she described the situation she's in. The client bought a house less than one year ago. It's outdated and it needs a total facelift and maybe an addition. He wants to hire me for the full project, but wants to implement it in $100,000 chunks in two year increments. My intuition tells me that he will end up doing the full project all at once and finance it, but that's not what he says. I'd like to uh, complete the preliminary design for the full project, then complete each phase as he needs it. Do you recommend this? What would you do? And how would you charge for it? So absolutely. This is a, a scenario that happens very often uh, in, in our firm. Our market is very large residential additions and alterations. That's what we do at Five Cat Studio. And that scenario happens a lot where a client comes in and has uh, bigger dreams than their pocketbook, and they want us to do a you know preliminary master plan that kind of describes the whole pro- project and, and basically renovate the whole house and the different parts of, of their ideas. And then they want to just start with phase one, and then when they're ready, they'll save for some more, and they'll do phase two and three and four. And so that is that is something that we do often, and the hybrid proposal certainly can accommodate that. Um, and so what we do is we... Um, uh, we prepare the agreement based on the entire project description. That's the first thing we do, uh, and we send it out. So we, we in the pro- in the proposal, there's a section for the project description, and we and we describe that it, uh, we understand that it's a an entire project that's phased, and we so we describe that in the in the description, and then we um, start once we're hired we would start the entire we would start the process as a full complete project and so we would design the whole thing as if it was a uh, one finished project and then we would work with the client to figure out um, what the phases are you know and how they would want to accomplish it Uh, and the way the proposal works is that at the end of schematic design we get an estimate from a third party typically a contractor who would bid the project later in the in the process and we get that third party estimate and we base our fee on that uh, estimate. So that's how it works. So now you don't have to go search for it. How it works is we do schematic design. We get an initial payment up front. So we have some money up front. Uh, 
Um, then we go through the schematic design process. We have the schematic design estimated and the contractor gives us an estimate and then we lock in our fee based on that estimate. Uh, and the percentage is whatever you determine that your percentage should be. Um, and the way we would work it with a phase project is that we would, for schematic design, we would pay, get paid our percentage um, for schematic design, which is broken down by phase. So the percentage for schematic design, we would base on the entire project, so the cost of the entire project. Uh, and then we would determine uh, with the client and based on the, the breakdown of the, from the, uh, the estimate, we often ask the contractors would, to break it down into phases as well for us. And we would then proceed with phase one and everything from design development all the way through construction administration would then be based on the cost of phase one. So, so schematic design would be based on the cost of the whole project and just your schematic design fee would be based on that. And then we would determine phase one and we would base the rest of phase one on the cost of what the scope of work of phase one would, would cost. And so that's how we do it. And then, and then what's important is that the, at the end of phase one, we close out the project and we close out our agreement. We don't wait and say, okay, phase two in two years, come back to us and we'll start again. We close out phase one as if it's a finished project. And then when phase two happens, they come back, they bring their, their master plan. We pull the master plan out of the drawer. We put together a new proposal based on phase two. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that in two years or whatever, however they come back, often much longer than that, um, the whole world is different. Our fees are most likely different. Our process potentially could be different. Their expectations and their, their understanding of the pro project is different. They live, they've lived in the house now for many years and have a different way of living. Very likely phase two will be completely different when you develop it than it was two years ago. And so the new proposal is based on the description of phase two, uh, but it's a new proposal and it gives us the opportunity to uh, adjust our fee as necessary. If we do, if we, if we have increased our fees or, or changed the scope of the way we do things, um, it gives us that opportunity. So we close out at the end of phase one and a new proposal at phase two. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so we do use our hybrid proposal uh, for master planning and phased execution and schematic design is based on the full project and phase one is uh, based on the cost of DD through, or the phase one, which is DD through construction administration is uh, adjusted for the first phase scope of work. So that's how we do it. I hope that helps uh, Sherry and I hope that answers your question. Thank you very much for purchasing uh, the hybrid proposal, the cost that those pr that the proposal, uh, the money that the proposal generates, and the money that the uh, business forms and checklists that I do, the foundation's business forms and checklists are also available on the site. Um, the money that comes from that supports Entrepreneur Architect. I don't put that in my pocket. I put that right back into the site and build it for the community. So I, every time we, I get another. Uh, a notification that another proposal has been uh, purchased. It's just more money that I could put into the, uh, the business uh, at uh, Entrepreneur Architect and, and grow it. So I thank you very much. So let's get on to question number three. So question number three was sent to me um, by my longtime friend, 
Bob. Uh, Bob and I went to school together, architecture school. He was one of my, my studio mates. Uh, and he wrote, it would be interesting to hear from part-time architects in the entrepreneur architect sphere of influence. What happens when only, uh, when you only have 20 to 30 hours per week to work? So much out there on running a small business architecture firm seems to focus on the idea that we have to work 60 hours a week, but I suspect that there are many part-timers out there, lots of moms and dads trying to run small business while raising kids. Absolutely. No doubt about it. I love this question because although on the surface, it's about running a full-time firm with part-time hours, but in reality, it's about work-life integration. Uh, one of my favorite topics. And Anne-Marie and I, you know, Anne-Marie and I, uh, run Five Cat Studio full-time, but uh, often we, uh, we run into the same problems that Bob's talking about here. Uh, we raise our family and we run our firm together. You know, the uh, studio now is in our in our home. Anne Marie's studio has always been in our home. Uh, she has always split her responsibilities between the firm and the family. Uh, and I've always been available as necessary and needed. One of the reasons why we started Five Cat Studio in the first place was so we could have that flexibility to to raise our family and do what we need to do and be at the plays and. Um, be at the swim meets and do the things that we want to do uh, when we want to do it. And so uh, that's, you know, that's, that's how we run our firm. And so now that my studio is also in the, in the home, uh, we built a new studio and moved out of our uh, 11 years of being in a, uh, a large 2000 square foot studio in a town next to ours that we live in here. Um, and moved it back into our house and now we work virtual with our staff so we are running our you know our firm and raising our family and i suspect as bob does that we're not alone i'm sure you know in, in the future i'm going to ex expand on this topic in another episode or write write about it on the blog because this is something uh that is that needs more attention than just one question answered um but you know from my point of view you we, you know, people in this position really have two choices. Uh, we only take enough work that can be accomplished in the 20 hours that we have. So if we only have 20 hours uh, or 30 hours, whatever it is, then only take enough work to do that. Um, then that's tough because if you're only working 20 or 30 hours, then you're only getting paid for 20 or 30 hours. Um, and so that, and that might, might not be enough. Um, so the other alternative to that is to build a team. And then you can hire more, uh, you can hire more staff and um, get hired for more work and do all the work that you want to do. So you can run a 60 hour firm in 20 or 30 hours because you have other people doing the work. All you need to do is build the systems uh, and build a, a business that, that can run itself. So um, go back to the book that I recommended, The E-Myth Revisited. The E-Myth, um, it's by Michael Gerber, and it talks about how to build a business that allows you to live the life of your dreams, basically. Uh, or building a business that lets you integrate your firm and your family. The, um, it, it, it talks about building systems and uh, building uh, guides so you can teach other people to do the work that you're doing. So maybe the 20 or 30 hours that you're working is focused on um, just doing the, the design or uh, it's just 
doing the business end of things and letting others design it and you just critique it and tweak it. Um, so that's another solution. Um, and, and by the way, the E-Myth Revisited, there's also, a, he does multiple, it's a whole series of books now. And a few years ago, he came out with E-Myth Architect and I have not yet read it, um, but I know it's out there. But I, I've read the E-Myth a dozen times. I've given it away probably 50 times. Um, but uh, E-Myth Architect would be very interesting. It's, it's on my list. Um, and obviously there's much more on this topic. And uh, so I, you know, I'm gonna leave this one up to you guys. So I'd love to hear what you guys are doing to integrate your life uh, and your firm. You know, how are you uh, working 60 hour firms in 20 or 30 hours? How are you raising your kids uh, and running a firm? This is something that is, is a, a common question. I get emails and comments on the blog and tweets at Twitter about this subject every week. Um, it's something that people are struggling with. It's something that Anne Marie and I continue to struggle with. Uh, we've worked it out. So we're running a, you know, the business is running pretty smoothly, but it's not easy. It's really, really difficult. So, um, I want to, I want to hear what you have to say. So go to entrepreneur architect, no, not entrepreneur, go to the entrepreneur architect blog at entrearchitect.com slash episode 32 and leave a comment and let's have a conversation about this one. How do you get it all done? Moms and dads, how do you get it all done? How, do you, how are you a full-time architect and a full-time mom and dad? Let's go. Let's go talk about that one. So that was question number three. Let's get on to question number four. So question four was sent to me by Ileana. Um, she sent me a question about the type of client that she's attracting and wanted to know my thoughts on how to manage them. So here's her question. Uh, she wrote, here's my conundrum. I've just started my residential design firm and I've come across different types of clients. Even within my target market, uh, residential renovations and additions, weary of design and construction process. I'm uh, coming across a type of client that is becoming typical all of its own. I'll call it the faster, farther, stronger, or also known as faster, faster, faster. Who is that client? It's the client that wants the condensed design process because they want to start construction in two months. They have no contractor in line and have no idea about the permitting process, let alone lead times for materials. They want the condensed design process, but they don't understand the design changes are necessary during the design process and should be avoided during construction process. What do you mean three weeks? She wrote, uh, was one of the questions from a potential client when I told them that uh, if I were to work exclusively for them, I could deliver design development drawings in that period. And then I was told I was too expensive. <laughs> Have you heard that before? Uh, I was basically fired before I was even hired. How do you persuade this type of client? How do you transform their faster requirement into a solid contract that will leave everyone happy? Well, uh, we have those kind of clients contact us often and we manage them by setting up expectations loud and clear right up front. If you want to work with us, this is how we do it. And we have very, we have a very specific process and that process takes time and the results they see on our website 
and they want for themselves. That's the reason they hired us is because they did they did their search and and our marketing is out there, and they see the work that we do. So if they if they're calling Five Cat Studio and they want what we do, then this is the process that we do. Um, and so I I think truly you know truthfully Ileana, I would say the first question you need to ask yourself is do you really want this target market? Do you really want this to be your target market? Um, these people who don't understand the process, they just want it fast, fast, fast. They don't really want our design services. They just want our stamp. That's not a market that we really want to take. And, um, and there are plenty of architects out there that serve that market. Uh, lots of startups serve that market. We served that market when we first started. Um, but I think eventually you need to grow out of that market. Um, you know, if, uh, if you do want to work that market, then, then you need to develop systems that accommodate their very short deadlines and, and set expectations very, very clearly that the services that they will receive are going to be very, very limited. The, you know, the, then the focus uh, of continuously improving those systems until you become the firm, the firm, that does faster, faster, faster. So you need to build a brand around serving that type of client and do it better than anybody else. So if you want that market, and there's there's a huge market there that's, that's available, um, and you can become the brand that serves that market. And the key here is to not try to change that client. And so in your question, you said, how do you convince you know a client to, to, to change or however you, you wrote it? But but my take on that is that if you want to if you want to work in that market, you can't uh, spend all your time trying to educate that client. I, I for years I did that, and I and I talk to architects all the time who want to educate the client. The key to a successful business is not trying to change the client, but accepting the client for who they are. So if you want that market, then you need to accept who they are, and build a firm that serves that client. Don't try to change it. Accept the client and build a firm that can meet their expectations. So, and and what's what's really interesting is that you you don't really have an option. You don't you can't do faster, 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 and cheap. If a client wants faster, 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 then they're going to need to pay for it. If they want faster, 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 and they don't want to pay for it, then they go somewhere else. And when they go somewhere else, they'll understand why they got what they paid for. So you have to stand firm, give them, uh, if you want, give them what they want, but, but build systems and become the firm that does that, build a brand around it and become that firm. You know, I, truthfully, I've found that many potential clients want results quickly because they honestly don't know what it should take. They don't understand that it should take longer. So, you need to remember that you set the services you provide. They don't set the services you provide. You can't walk into a meeting. They tell you how you're going to do your business, how much they're going to charge or how much they're going to pay you. That doesn't really work. If you're going to build a business, you decide what your services are. And then you need to market them and then you need to sell them and sell them. And and you determine that. And if you're and if the prospect doesn't is not compatible with that, then you need to move on. You need to say, I'm sorry, this is not a project that is appropriate for my firm. Uh, maybe give them a referral to somebody who is doing that kind of work. 
and and move on and go find a, a better client that uh, that does want what you have to, to to offer. You know, truthfully, your prospects are going to adjust to the way you work and and adjust to what you have to offer, or they're going to find someone else who does it their way. And truthfully, many times, that's the best thing that could happen. Okay, so that's uh, one, two, three, four. This is the fifth question I have. This is the final question. Um, and uh, the question is, would you publish my article? And how can I become a guest blogger at entrearchitect.com? This is uh, in response to this week's post. Um, for Since we started the blog, I've had uh, people constantly sending me emails asking if I would post their articles. And until this week, all guest posts have always been by invitation only. And many of those posts written by guest authors have been some of my highest ranking posts. So um, the great thing about articles written by guest authors is that, uh, that they're written by people who are passionate and are very knowledgeable about the topic that they're writing. So uh, I love having guest bloggers, but, but uh, I always only invited people I knew uh, who were, inspired me. Um, Andrew Hawkins, his article on apps for architects uh, is always in uh, my top 10 most visited pages. Stephen Burns wrote a three-part article uh, for the Entrepreneur Architect Academy uh, blog post series on financial management for small firm architects. It's also very, very popular, always on the top of my, uh, of my rankings. These posts are, are popular because they share information about topics that, that our architects, you know, our community are interested in. And so uh, this week, I've opened the blog to guest submissions. And it's very, very important to me that the quality still remain very high and that the topics are interesting to our community. But I thought that you know, it, allowing guest bloggers to submit uh, articles, and not every article that's submitted will be published, only the very best will be published. And I will continue writing as well. I'm not going anywhere. Um, what it will allow me to do is open up the platform to other voices so that we can learn from other people. Um, people who are, are better at, at certain topics than I am. Uh, we'd be able to like, explore other topics that I'm not capable uh, of writing, you know, in, informative email or uh, blog posts on. Uh, and what it will also do, it, was, it will allow me to um, develop other services and resources for the community. And so by not having to write every single week, uh, and allowing some of our community to to write, the the site will be able to grow. The community will be able to grow, and we'll all be able to benefit from that. So, um, it's it's really exciting to me that I'm going to have other people write. I've and I just posted that um, that article on um, Sunday night, and I've already received articles um, for publication for for um, consideration. So it, it's already starting. It's really exciting to see what's coming through. So I encourage you, if you're interested, to to uh, to please write. I have put put together uh, a uh, set of guidelines for anyone who are in, who's interested in submitting an article for publication. You can go to entrearchitect.com/writers, and that will give you my page that I put together that gives you the the guidelines and the parameters for what we're looking for. There's 
very specific uh, topics and, and requirements that you need to meet if we're going to publish it. Uh, again, I want to keep the, the quality very high and the standards very high. So uh, entrearchitect.com slash writers. You can check out the guidelines there um, and send me your best work. I'd love to share your knowledge with our community. So um, I invite you to do that. And, and if, you, if you did read that article uh, when I first published it, and you, uh, and you, I, I wrote, you know, there's a whole section of terms and conditions. And before the terms and conditions was a copyright section where I claimed ownership of anything that was submitted to us. I've changed that. So I want you all to know that I, I got some feedback uh, from several different directions on, on that, that uh, was not a good idea. And I agree. I, you know, my intent on that was to make sure that the readers of the Entrepreneur Architect blog, uh, they're not seeing things that have already been published. And that's really my only intent. Uh, so copyright remains with the author. And uh, we just ask that it has not been published previously anywhere else in print or digital uh, before it gets published on the Entrepreneur Architect blog. And then uh, after it's published, you're welcome to do whatever you want with it. Um, we just want the best work you have to share it with our community so we can grow and become a, uh, an influential force in the profession, as I like to say. Uh, this is the next step to, to doing that. And uh, it's exciting. So that's my five questions, uh, five questions, five answers. And uh, with that, I'm going to wrap this one up. But before I say goodbye, I just uh, I want to say thank you. I want to thank everybody who sends me emails or mentions me on Twitter or who have liked my uh, the Facebook, uh, the Facebook page at facebook.com slash entrearchitect. I want to thank you. I want to thank you for visiting this blog each week. Uh, and for reading what I have to share. I want to thank you for listening to uh, this podcast and responding by leaving comments over at the blog. I, I want to thank you for subscribing to my newsletter, The Entrepreneur Architect Report, which you can subscribe at entrearchitect.com slash newsletter, and I write every week. Thank you for subscribing to that. Uh, I have over 2,000 subscribers now at The Entrepreneur Architect Report. And, uh, and I have a 40% open rate, which is a pretty high open rate. Uh, I would love it to be 100%, um, but 40% is a pretty high open rate as far as I, I know. Um, I also want to say thank you to everyone who's left a review or star rating on iTunes. You know, during the, the last few weeks, the podcast has seen almost a dozen new reviews on iTunes since I've been uh, following up, you know, ending the, the podcasts with uh, with the request for that. It's, those are really, really important. And I really appreciate the kind words and the support, uh, uh on those rate on those reviews and those ratings. And those, you know, those reviews help other entrepreneur architects find the podcast and in turn help to build a better community. So, uh, I appreciate it. If you haven't left uh, a review and you want to do that, you can go to entrearchitect.com slash iTunes, and that'll send you to my iTunes page on the web. Just click the button that's labeled view in iTunes and it'll open up your iTunes app uh, where you can then leave a review for the show. And again, I really, I do. I really, really appreciate uh, those reviews and, and I thank you. And really each of these platforms contribute to building an amazing community of like-minded professionals who love what we do. 
and are seeking a better way in terms of running a small business. That's what Entrepreneur Architect is all about. We're architects and we want to be happy and we want to be successful in what we're doing. We want to serve our clients the best we can and one client at a time, we want to make the world a better place. So I thank you all for being part of this journey that's called Entrepreneur Architect and for making Entrepreneur Architect what it has become. So I, you know, thank you. So I'm going to wrap it up with that. Until next week, my name is Mark R. LePage, and I am so blessed to have you guys as members of my community. Uh, and I am an entrepreneur architect. Thanks for listening. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this. I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. 
there is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.